From WXCI 91.7 in Danbury, this is Public Reading Club, a radio program dedicated to discussions about books, writing, reading with writers and book people. Your host is Matt Caputo. Great to be back on Public Reading Club. I'm your host, Matt Caputo. I'm joined by my engineer and producer, Patrick Frenette. And we are once again here at the WXCI studios um, from Western Connecticut State University, Danbury, Connecticut. Um, We have a very special guest today, a guy I go back with a very long way, Um, just a fantastic writer. He's a longtime investigative reporter for Business Week and Bloomberg, and uh, he was a National Magazine Award finalist, and he recently published his first book, Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. Uh, It's been called uh, endlessly entertaining, uh, ludicrously uh, compelling, It's been called Endlessly Entertaining and Ludicrously Compelling. It's the story of a two-year investigation into crypto, the greatest financial mania the world has ever seen. Uh, Zeke Fox and I met in the most literary way you could possibly meet, and that is at a dinner party in an old factory that became um, apartment lofts in Brooklyn, where um, the prolific journalist Gay Talese was the uh, kind of guest of honor. And uh, Zeke, um, who at that, that time was already a um, well-known writer with Bloomberg, he was a fantastic reporter and just a really a dynamite guy, despite what Michael Lewis um, may have said about him recently in the New York Times. Uh, Zeke's just the greatest guy. He's a fantastic reporter with... Um, just the uh, endless unique curiosity that uh, ultimately produces fantastic work and the kind of work that should be recognized by things like the National Magazine Award and today he is my guest so I'd like to thank an old friend of ours Danielle Florio for um, introducing me to Zeke uh, she was the host of that party. Um, it was an organization called uh, Off Assignment. And this was kind of a some type of collective that had to do with writing and reporting. And I'm not sure how many official um, activities they actually hosted, uh, I think over a period of years. But it was uh, something that somebody tried and I was proud to attend and meet Gay Talese, who's you know fantastic writer. Many of you people will know him from. Uh, recently, he had a documentary on Netflix within the last ten years called The Voyeur, where he uh, did extensive interviews with this kind of shady but very interesting man who owned a roadside motel and had many many stories. Kind of an if these walls could talk. Uh, article that became this documentary that um you know featured Talese where it was interesting to watch him create the story and do the reporting and all these things um Zeke is a fantastic writer and this his book number go up 
which is available now everywhere, you know, your, your favorite places to buy books. Um, our favorite places are The Booksmiths at the Summit in Danbury and Bird's Books in Bethel, uh, which is a, another fantastic bookstore kind of locally to Western Connecticut State University. Do a lot with our MFA program. Shout out to both of those bookstores. So if you want to buy the book and you want to go through those channels, that's great. I also welcome you to buy used books somewhere. I'm just happy to see people reading, but it would be great to see uh, – Zeke's numbers truly go up his sales numbers truly go up so it'd be great to buy the book through the mainstream channels where um, books are being ordered right now and counted so um, this was a fantastic chat I wish we had more time I do hope to get him up here on campus uh, at some point um, in the next year or so while I have my time here just to see if he can get involved in um sharing his thoughts on writing and reporting uh, not only with uh, the greater university but of course with our MFA students so um, stay tuned it's kind of a quick chat I do apologize about that but we're going to um, be back uh, on this show with more and more content we're going to release this episode now uh, there's a recent episode out with Chris Belden who just recently edited a fantastic collection of writing from incarcerated writers and he's a Connecticut-based um, writer and editor as well and we have a fantastic interview kind of a um, kind of a review of our last interview with Michael Ledwidge and we get on to some other talking points he was uh, excited to come back um, after our last interview and it's great because uh, Mike is a New York City guy like myself, and uh, he now lives outside of Hartford. And he, uh, just to have him come on the show, share his experiences writing many bestsellers with James Patterson, and now a bunch of fantastic solo books. His book is out now, The Girl in the Vault, and uh, he'll go a little more into um, that book uh, on an upcoming episode, which will probably quickly follow this one. So stay tuned to Public Reading Club. Um, I want to thank everybody recently who supported the show. And I'd also like to um, let anybody know that uh, Professor John Roach here at Western Connecticut State, uh, he will be going on sabbatical next semester, but he is going to continue his GI Journals project, and I am going to assist him in any way I possibly can to see that the GI Journals project, um, where he sends writing materials and notebooks to um, deployed um, military troops and uh, they, they get these um, opportunity to to write and to collect their thoughts and uh, I think it's a great thing I've supported him really as much as I, I could this year uh, I think it's a great thing that he's done and my hat is off uh, to Professor Roach for um, you know starting an initiative that gives uh, you know, veterans access to writing materials. I think, uh, you know, active military as well, uh, writing material because I think it's uh, uh, really important to to have people be able to express themselves that way. I do get a little choked up thinking about it. I, I uh, hats off to uh, Professor Roach and good luck on your sabbatical. He's he's somebody I've wanted to get on the show a hundred times, and it'll be great to get him on the show when he releases his uh, next book, um, which is. Uh, probably going to be fantastic so stay tuned for our chat with zeke fox he is the author of number go up inside crypto's wild rise and staggering fall 
and it's out now. Uh, go check it out because it, it really is a special book. Some of the best reporting uh, we've seen in, in a long time, especially about the crypto issue. And uh, just uh, that Zeke is the type of storyteller that once you get into the story, you'll follow it wherever it goes. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Public Reading Club. Our guest today is Zeke Fox, a prolific reporter for Bloomberg, who's just written a new book called Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. Zeke, it's really a pleasure to interview you today. I don't think I know of any journalist personally that I look up to more than you. Uh, just all of your really passionate writing that especially this book it really gripped me because it's all about uh the people and and the the um kind of how crypto was this crazy crazy i guess you could almost call it a fad you know what i mean uh, or it does still exist obviously and it's still evolving and it probably will take its next incarnation within the next couple of seconds but um it, it's really a gripping story uh why don't, before we go into anything, I want to tell people how we met. Um, not every, not every like two journalists in the era that uh, Zeke and I have worked in actually met at a party where Gay Talese was a guest. Doesn't happen all the time. Uh, we met at Danielle Florio's house when there was that party where Gay Talese was like giving a speech. Pretty sure. Yes. And he was um, talking about a book he was working on that has since come out called The Voyeur's Motel about a guy who ran a motel and would spy on the guests from like a secret attic or something like that. Which was also it's, a fantastic documentary. Yes, the- although I which I haven't I heard it's good. I haven't seen it, but I it seems like people it's become kind of controversial. I think the way that Talise told the story. So I'm eager to see the doc. I Since think we got to see it live. It, well, he he kind of I was actually just speaking to somebody about this and I and I kind of generally have good feelings for him. He's probably of another time than 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 today just maybe, you know, I don't think we talked to him too you know, I don't think we talked to him at length enough that night to get a sense of where he's totally at, but at the same time, the problem was with that documentary, he um he got some facts wrong in the book or in the, in the, the article, uh, the original article of it. And he kind of just shook it off. You know what I mean? But it seemed like a glaring timeline error. That's what I remember. I don't know what else you knew about it, but that's, that's what I remember. Although, you know, well, I just remember being so honored to be in the presence of this legend, (laughs) you know, the author of, Frank Sinatra has, has a, a cold. cold. Yeah. Um, and his book about the New York Times, I loved. Um, the um, I think it's called. Is it the Power and the Glory? Is it no? Power that's not it. Um, we got to look that up. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, the Kingdom and the Power. The kingdom and the Power, right? Which yeah, is I can't story. get enough of. Uh, like as a, I don't know if you feel this way, but as a reporter, I love reading about reporters. I can't oh, get enough yeah. reporter content. There's so, a there's a great guy, um, Alex Belt, who works as Esquire's archive editor. Who he had some great. Um, I can't think of the guy's name right this second, but if you go on the 
the Daily Beast, he wrote some great articles like about like the James Bond of magazine writers and like all, all this all this crazy stuff that's out there. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I love reading old magazine stories and and people's work. I think that's one of the reasons why I started the show. As a matter of fact, the current guest on the show was John H. Richardson, who was the prolific Esquire writer and uh, National Magazine Award winner, I think, once or twice. Um, but it, it's it's really great to have you on here today because we became aware of each other. And tell me, Zeke, you know, I for the purposes of this show, why don't you go into your background a little bit? You are from Connecticut, huh? where 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 I'm recording from, right? Um, actually from, uh, from the Boston area, Boston, huh? um, I did have a Connecticut connection, which was, um, my grandfather had a restaurant in Connecticut called fabled foods. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I loved, I loved visiting and, uh, we'd also, We'd always stop at Ryan's if we were ever going back and forth to Boston, to New York. Right. We had yeah, family yeah. in New York. So that was like the the reason why as a kid, I was always in Connecticut, was visiting grandpa, going to Ryan's to, you know, eat some pickles the and Bialy's. Yeah. yeah. That um, is, it's an incredible place. Like, it, it's not really true to how things are in New York, but like for where it is, it certainly feels that way for sure. And it's, it's a... Uh, it's a great deli. Yeah, it was a yeah. The one time I went there, the line was almost out the door. It was unbelievable. Um, um so but in terms of my background, I've always worked as a um financial journalist and I always got drawn to I at first I was covering normal things on Wall Street, but I was always drawn to these weird characters who operated on the shady side of yeah. of the business. And I, I, while we're saying nice things about each other, I should say, like, I remember you had this great uh, story for Penthouse about this, like, crew of thieves. Yes. The, the, right? And, like, those are my kinds of people. I, but I sort of describe my beat as people who make a lot of money doing something weird. Yeah, and... no, I love that. I, I've told people that, um, I, I think I've, I've brought this up Definitely on the last episode, but I used to work with Joe Levy, who was the executive editor at Rolling Stone. And when I worked with him, he was at Maxim. And one day he said something to me and it was a really simple kind of a thing was he said that he said, I really like stories about the way people live life. And I was like, wow, if you really wrap your head around that, that could be a very interesting thing because people live their lives so differently. I'm really drawn to stories um, where you kind of have, have that financial angle. I'm really drawn to stories where people either break the law in a very organized and calculated way. I'm really into stories where um, people get themselves into trouble. And I love a story where people get themselves into trouble when they were at first seeking fame. That's what I'm I'm always, mm. always drawn to those stories where people are seeking some type of celebrity and they ultimately end up just down a terrible path. I'm working on a story, right? I can't say much about it, but I'm working on a story I think is like that right now. Um, and, and, and I think that when we look at, I mean, some of your work, you've been nominated for the National Magazine Award, which is um, there, you know, you, that just puts you in, a, in an elite category of writers, talented, um, but also uh, your work is polished. But how did you how did you get into the actual writing? And, and were you more 
journalist from the were you more into the research or did you have a creative writing background or i mean i always wanted to be a writer mm -hmm. and i always uh, even if i didn't really know it was a possibility or i didn't really think it was a realistic possibility but mm -hmm. i loved reading um so i'm i'm 38 when i was a kid i loved um some of the big most popular most exciting nonfiction books of like the mid 90s like into thin air or by john krakauer or the perfect storm sebastian younger or um ben even uh ben mesrick's uh bringing down the house the mit blackjack story yeah um and like i loved reading these exciting true stories and i but i didn't think like i just i don't think i would have let myself imagine that one day i would do them um but that was the kind of as I worked my way up through the ranks of like beat reporting, that was always my dream was that I would find these crazy true stories and write about them. Um, and what, I don't know if it's like a big break, but what, um, one thing that really helped me was I wrote sort of a expose about something that happened in the financial world, like a shady company in, in the financial world. And then afterwards, uh, one of the people I had written about asked me out for a beer. And I wasn't really sure if I should say yes. Like this guy was some sort of weird character. Had you written who, negatively uh, about him? Or? Yes, I'd written negatively, uh, negatively about him. And um, I, he'd... Uh, been convicted of crimes in the past. I mean, there's no reason to really be worried, but I, I was sort of like, what, what are his intentions? But then when we met up, he said, you know, I don't know if he said anything directly showing that, saying that he liked the story, but he said it was clear that he respected it because he said, I have some other ideas about things you could write about. And he <sighs> gave me some tips about um, other people who were up to no good. And those tips proved to be true and led to some great stories. And I got into this world of hustlers centered in New York's financial district. You think of the financial district as like very legit home of the stock exchange. Yeah. You know, it's where Wall Street is. But actually the, the legit banks have all moved to Midtown. <laughs> and what's left is like a lot of kind of outdated office buildings where the rents are pretty low. So this is where there's like boil... You know, the like Wolf of Wall Street type guys. Yeah, the Wolf type guys. Yeah. Yeah. They've fallen on hard times. It's not a good business anymore, but they're still they're still trying it and they're down in Wall Street. And then I, I wrote about that. And then I, a lot of them had moved to this new business that was called um, Cash Advance. And it's basically you call up small businesses like a, you call like a pizzeria and you're like, hey, do you need money? And like, who doesn't? They're like, we'll get you 50 grand tomorrow. But if you take that loan, you got to pay back, you know, 75 grand in two months. So it's it's like a, it's legal. They found these like loopholes, but it's essential. The interest rates are higher than the mafia charged. Wow. And it, turned, it was a really big business full of really weird characters. And it turned out they all knew each other. They liked to talk. And that led to the series that I wrote with my colleague, Zach Miter, that we got nominated for the 
magazine award for and it also led to um like i think this was my first magazine story i wrote feature that i wrote by myself it was a profile um i met a guy in this industry named abe zinas and he was about my age he was from near my house in brooklyn but he had it was as if he was from like another planet because he'd grown up in this really insular religious community wow and he just kind of became my tour guide to both this world of like weird semi-legal loan sharking and also the world of orthodox jews in brooklyn yeah and and and, and how the, they're you know they're sometimes working those two things exist together sometimes you know yes I, well it turned out that this particular hustle these these merchant cash advance loans had sort of gone viral within the orthodox jewish community and that a lot of young kids like this guy abe had gotten into it and then made a lot of money and he'd actually moved to puerto rico um he'd abandoned the community that he grew up in and he was living this like lavish lifestyle in puerto rico um full of like uh lived in a mansion there lots of lots of girls lots of parties um and he told me I went to his office downtown. It didn't look like much, but he told me I'm going to, I'm going to sell my company to a hedge fund and I'm going to make like tens of millions of dollars. And I'm like, sure you are. And then, uh, after we had spent a long time getting to know each other, I came across, I obtained a letter and it was, it was addressed to, to Abe. And it said like, Dear Abe, we would like to buy your company for a hundred million dollars. Wow. Sincerely, Goldman Sachs. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and so once I saw that letter, I was like, I had been spending all this time with Abe, but I wasn't really sure why. And then I saw this letter and I was like, it's on. I gotta do this story. This is like the the story I've been waiting to tell. And it's still like one of my favorite. It's a, I think, a first feature story that I did on my own, and it's still like one of my favorites ever. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, did you think, and you really would know better than I do, but do you think there was a lot of deliberate misinformation put online to kind of further crypto crime? Would you say it was like, were there kind of elaborate, um, was there any elaborate spreading of misinformation to the general public? Yes. I mean, so many of this, I'll give you just like one example. Um, Crypto people would go, like, I'm not saying every crypto people person is bad or like everything is a scam. Um, But um, some people would go so far as like, if there was a coin they were trying to promote, they'd create a group chat full of like bots or just people who've been paid to be there. And they'd all start talking about how great the coin was to each other. And all this talk is just to lure in a couple unsuspecting people. <laughs> you know, because the best thing in crypto is you make a coin out of nowhere, costs you nothing to create it, and then you sell it to regular people for real money. And those are the people who got real rich on crypto are the people that 
made the coins and and promoted them. And by the time, because by the time you hear about it and you hear like, oh, this might be this cool new cryptocurrency to invest in, the insiders are already in and you're what they call exit liquidity. Like you're like the dump end of the pump and dump scheme. And so everybody thinks they're the smart money, but the odds are really against you unless you're one of the insiders. Tell me that story that you were you wanted to tell me before we uh, took a break there. Oh, well, um, no. So interesting, like inside um, journalism news that's been on my mind today is um, so it's been really exciting in the last couple of days a lot of reviews of my book have come out and they've been really nice. And they've said that, uh, um, that it's a great read. It's like a great guide to the, this crypto world and that it's fun to read. Even if you don't know crypto, it's been in, um, the economist, New York times, wall street journal, Washington post, like everybody, so many nice reviews, but, um, there's another writer who also just came out with a book about crypto. Um, named michael lewis uh, the oh, uh moneyball fame yes um and so a lot of these reviews amazingly have even said that you might want to read my book and not michael lewis's book Whoa. which is just like shocking to me he's someone i grew up admiring and i was really worried that his book would uh like blow mine out of the water so every once in a while and again i i don't i don't know michael lewis's work probably even as well as you do but i can tell you that i think every once in a while writers like him who write books are in a position where um a subject is hot and you know an agent or a publisher thinks that a book by them uh, on that particular subject would be a successful book it doesn't always make uh, a compelling read you put a lot of sweat equity into this book that you you can you can tell that from really you know you know uh front cover to back you know well thanks um yeah so now what i just saw like a little bit before we got um into this interview is that the new york times wrote a profile of michael lewis and asked him what he thought about me and he called me corrupt and skeevy um, and I was, uh, yeah, so I'm still deciding how I feel about getting insulted by like a writer who I really admire in a in the New York times. Um, Michael Lewis said that about you. Yes. Wow. I, yeah, I, pretty I, wild. I, I honestly think that's a compliment to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I think I should take it as one that like, that he's even talking about me. Hundred um, um, Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure the root of your corruption um, well, it, it was, it's just been surreal because like I said, I never really thought it would even be possible to be one of these types of writers who like travels the world looking for crazy stories and telling them to people. And then even once I did it and wrote this book, I wasn't sure if anyone would really care or read it. And it's just been, it's been so fun to get notes from readers who are like, oh, I, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the part about, you know, when you go to Cambodia to investigate human trafficking or like your dumb jokes about those ape cartoons are funny 
<laughs> and yeah, it's like a dream come true. It's been really awesome. <laughs> I think that that's I think that that's the beauty part is that it, as a writer, you get captivated by some type of story you want to follow. And you find that that story is important to people. Zeke, you've made a really honest attempt at being a writer um, and, and and approaching almost every story with a really honest uh, kind of I mean, that just sounds to me like uh, it, it's amazing that some of the people who are interviewed, particularly in The New York Times, just seem to uh i mean even some of the stuff that jan wenner said recently was yeah um, really just disheartening and disappointing to hear that stuff but one of the things that again i don't necessarily know if i i believe in the approach that was taken in every case but i could tell you in the last 10 years or so we found out that many people that we adore as or idolize we find out that they're married to some really old ideas. And I think that that's probably the approach, like somebody that a Michael Lewis is going to take. It says you happen to have this successful book right out right now. That's basically about the same thing. And he has to try and discredit you by saying something nasty instead of, yeah. instead of, but instead of maybe, instead of maybe complimenting you and saying something nice, which might've opened up some of your readers to his book. Well, I hope that, I have a long career and that once I've written many books that, I mean, it's a, I would think it would be a huge honor if young journalists were like out to compete with me. And I hope that I'm nice to those young journalists. If that should ever happen to me. I, yeah, I think I've taken that approach myself is that I've um, just in the little stuff that I do kind of, um, you know, with some of the journalists that I work with here at the radio station and some that I've encountered, you know, kind of on the entry levels of their career, I, I've just tried to take a different approach and uh, I've tried to nurture and and I've also tried to support them in any way I can. And I and I what I've really tried my best at is I've tried to get people to appreciate the types of stories that I like, which is kind of, you know, identical to what you do all the time. And a lot of what's found in, in Number Go Up, which is a fantastic book. There's this point in the book um, where you have a detail about an IRS agent working out of his basement. And I think that it's like when you're trying to teach a young reporter how to work, it's like, you know, I think it's that every time. I think it's almost like, hey. Um, when you're reporting about somebody, you're trying to tell a very full story. You need to know where the person's office is in their house that, you know, like not only what, they, yeah. well, not, not only what they were investigating, but which part of the house, the office that he was doing his work, it tells you a lot about the person hundred percent. I, and I, I should have gone to, I wish I had gone to that basement so I could find out like what kind of carpet he has. Um, I actually, but sometimes once, there's limits. <laughs> I actually once worked for a guy who I recently um, Googled to see if he was, I put his name next to the word scammer and con artist in Google, because I thought that the guy may have operated in those things. He, it didn't look like there was absolutely no obvious evidence that he had done any, any of this, but I, um, something that I thought was weird about him was that he definitely had a lot of money to play with, but um, when he would zoom with us, he would be doing it from this cramped bedroom in his in his house. And I was like, mm. this is really interesting. I mean, you um, 
I, I probably shouldn't get too specific, but yeah, you, <laughs> you seem to, you seem to be around a lot of money and have money to spend on things that the average person, you know, only in their wildest dreams could spend on. And you're doing your zoom meetings, like from what looked like, you know, uh, like uh, with his laptop propped up on a dresser and him sitting on the the edge of the bed almost to something like that. So, yeah, it was interesting. Well, but with these crypto guys, you had to watch out because sometimes, you know, they'd have the rented flashy apartment. They'd rent the Lamborghini. You know, they could put on a good show like they really had all the money. Then in reality, you know, they, they rented that. They, they're going to default on that lease, you know, next month. They just hope they can get a coin going by appearing to be really successful no yeah that that's that's one of the things that's why the financial world that you report from is really so interesting to me like i love all the boiler room stuff and stuff like that um uh i actually speaking of boiler room i don't know if i've told this on that show but i actually when i was a kid I, a teacher of mine asked me if I wanted to help out one day on Melinda Katz's campaign and the, her campaign manager was Ben Younger, who went to, went on to direct, oh. went on to direct Boiler Room. Yes. Uh, I love the movie Boiler Room is one of my favorites as a teenager. And I've, I've been, I've emailed with Ben like a couple of times and you know, it's like a fanboy moment for me. Yeah, I, I actually interviewed him once when I did a uh, story about Vin Diesel for Men's Fitness because he had directed Vin in the, um, I believe it was Find Me Guilty, uh, which was a, a really a really good movie for him. Uh, he never made another one like that. It was a small film about a guy who defended himself in court against some charges. But um, I... I really love that world that you work in and uh, I'm interested in seeing more, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to see what your next book is. And if you, if you kind of stay in this world, but that, that um, what we were talking about just a little bit earlier was um, I love any nonfiction story. I love all of the nonfiction stories, the 10,000 worders that eventually become movies, you know, the, the boogie nights and the Argos and uh, the uh, the Dallas Buyers Clubs and all of these movies uh, that are based on magazine stories. And it, I would love to see your version of these events as a movie because there's there's something about putting the reporter there in some of these. I, was he in the Bahamas when you visited him? Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot like, Freed went down to his house a couple of times. So that's the thing. It's like I think to tell the story kind of from an – an honest perspective like if you did a movie there'd have to be like this moral person the reporter in there trying to figure things out so i i would love to see this become a movie you have any has anything come to the surface with that like any type of option anything yet so michael lewis um he's like the king of the book to movie thing you yeah. know with the blind side and uh big short money ball so when he and now before he wrote his book this was all published in like the trade publications. He just said, Hey, I'm going to write a book about this. Anyone want the movie rights and Apple bought them for $5 million. So wow. that one is, you know, the project that seems most likely to, to get made. Um, and of course with some of my articles, I've gone down that route and had, you know, had a producer option them and they hire a screenwriter, but nothing's ever ha been made. 
I do think it would be really cool one day to see one of my stories turn into a movie. But um, with the book, I actually kind of gave up on that idea. And I was just like, you know what? Personally, I love reading. And I just want this book to be like a great read. And I'm not going to worry about if anyone would turn it into a movie. I don't want people to say, um, you know, this this should be a movie. I want them to say, this was a great read. I had a, I couldn't put it down. I read it all weekend. You know, that, I, that was sort of my goal. Um, and any movie stuff is just a bonus if, if somebody does like it. What were your, what were your stories that got optioned? If you, if you have a couple that come to mind. Um, well, the one that I told you about the Hasidic guys, um, a producer optioned that one. It didn't really go anywhere. I had one about a Super Bowl ring thief. Um, this like Patriots fan who's who stole the giant Super Bowl rings. He was like a cat burglar. Wow. Uh, that got optioned. I had uh, oh this one about a regular guy who gets harassed on the phone by a debt collector and wow. goes out to get revenge and uncovers a big conspiracy. That one got optioned a couple times. Um, that's the one that that one would is like a no brainer movie. Um, so, but it, it's like a, it's like a lottery, you know, they, you never know, you have to really get lucky for one of them to actually find its way to like the right screenwriter and then the right producer likes the script and then the right company wants to fund it. Cause these movie budgets are huge. It's like a, even like a low budget movie is a way bigger bet than a magazine commissioning an article or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, before you go, I'd love you just to give our readers a little kind of more of a compact. What What's your elevator pitch on number go up? So it, the reporter is the main character. And I'm kind of this skeptical outsider who gets sucked into the crypto world. And I spend two years trying to figure out what is with all these weird coins with these random names that are going up and up and making my friends and neighbors rich. And what I find is just like crazier than I'd ever imagined. And it takes me all around the world to El Salvador, to Philippines, to Cambodia, where I investigate crypto-linked human trafficking. And by the end, I'm at Sam Bankman-Fried's penthouse in the Bahamas just before the cops show up. So it's it's the story of this crazy adventure. And it's like the adventure stories that I grew up reading. And if you pick up a copy, I really hope you like it. <laughs> Did you, um, what, how long between getting the book deal was it that you finished the book? I had 18 months to write the book. Wow. And I turned it in on time. That's amazing. Um, yeah, because I was just, I didn't want to be one of those people with a book that was late because I knew it would drive me crazy. You know, if I knew that I'd missed the deadline, I just like the pressure would kill me. So I was like, you got to finish this by the deadline. Did you take a sabbatical from Bloomberg? Yes, I was off from my regular job for six months, but also I reported on crypto for Bloomberg and B Bloomberg. Like when I went to El Salvador, that was a trip that resulted in a business week story for Bloomberg. And then I was also able to like use some of that reporting in the book. So without without that, I, it wouldn't have been possible to write the book in 18 months. 
it's not as long as it sounds. <laughs> Let me ask you something just, and this will be one of the last questions before we cut out of here, but I, I think it's important because we do have some MFA students. Many of them are interested in writing books. Zeke, right now you've got a successful book out there. It's very popular. Um, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're really visible at this moment. How many other opportunities are coming your way in terms of your writing? Are, are, are you being, you know, I don't know if you have an agent or, or, or editors out there asking you if you have other ideas, what, what stage are you in right now? Or is it still mostly all focused on this book? Because I know that, you know, by the time, you know, by the time the book hits the street, the industry insiders kind of often know what's happening, you know? Um, I mean, I'm lucky that I have a great job at Bloomberg and I'm just trying to get back into the swing of it and to find the next big thing to investigate. Um, I think like the most exciting thing for me is I've gotten notes from writers who I admire, who I didn't know before and have said, oh, I picked up a copy of your book. I really enjoyed reading it. And, you know, would you like to meet up sometime? Um, and I, I'm just like thrilled to be part of this community of, uh, nonfiction writers and, um, to be seeing, to see the, the book's been like well-received in this world. And that means a lot to me. And, and story-wise, you know, you're, you're a big story guy. Was it hard not to work on other stories when you knew you had to focus on your book? Like did stuff, did little obsessions come up that almost sidetracked you? You know, it actually was kind of helpful to say, like, everything's got to be about crypto oh. because usually I have trouble because I'm trying to find stories because it could be like anything in the world. And then once you narrow it down to crypto, I it made it a little easier to be like, oh, I need to find some uh, great characters in this little world. It Because you know what? Everyone, a lot of people have good stories once you get to know them. And... Once I dug into these crypto guys, they were especially crazy and I just had no trouble. It's actually a little hard to go back to the regular world where just like random kids are not dealing with billions of dollars. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Zeke, Fox, Zeke Fox has been our guest today on Public Reading Club. The book is Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. It is out now from Currency Books a division of Penguin Random House. Zeke, it was really a pleasure having you on here, man. I hope we do this again. I'd actually love to do uh, an episode with you just all about our favorite long-form stories, uh, magazines. Oh. That would be great sometime in the Let's season. do it. You know? Yes. We can make, uh, we can each make a short list and we could, you know, explain them to each other maybe. I would love to do that. Let, let's do it. I need some time to like gather my, some deep cuts. I want to like surprise you with some. That'd be great. Zeke, thanks so much for coming on, man. And let's let's stay in touch. It'd be good to see you again soon. Definitely. See you soon, Matt. All right, Zeke. Take care, buddy. Public Reading Club is a production of WXCI 91.7 Danbury Radio. Hosted by Matt Caputo and produced by Pat Frenette and Matt Caputo.